Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if... If you give a dad a podcast. I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff. Hardcore. You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here. Okay. I had an axe handle with a twisted T on it. <laughs> it right after that <laughs> twisted T video went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked the dude in the head with it. It was so... That's great. I'd like to thank this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want. I'm a, I'm a human and I'm a chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But... So I took my kids with me to Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. Well, I don't know how I should listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> like, and then Robert said this. If you give a dad a podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms. Did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas? Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Supermod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rotschke, Vern Ganya himself, Nick Bockwinkel, Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I want to tell you about a new podcast out called Fouls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business, as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees, you name it. They have them on there, folks. And I encourage you to listen to them. If you're on YouTube, watch them. They drop every Saturday. They have their podcast. They drop it in the afternoon. So look forward to that podcast coming out. Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. Folks, you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. We are on here today because of you, viewers and watchers like you. In order to continue the podcast, we need to monetize our YouTube channel so we can get guests on that require financial compensation. That's where viewers like you come in. If you subscribe today, we can get that number up to 1,000. And as an incentive, the 1,000 subscriber will receive a free t-shirt just like this and receive a book from the legendary George Shire on his Minnesota Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Ganyu to the Road Warriors, signed by George Shire himself. So please get on there, tell your friends to subscribe today and when you hit that 1,000 mark, you're going to get a t-shirt like this. I'm going to reach out to you. You're going to be coming on the show as a guest and receive that book, The Minnesota's Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Gagne of the Road Warriors, signed by George Sire. So get on there today, subscribe, and please enjoy the podcast. 
Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. My guest today has been on this show frequently and a good friend of mine. He is a wrestling historian. If he doesn't know it, it probably isn't true. I want to welcome back my good friend, Mr. George Shire. George, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Hey, I always enjoy when you reach out to me. It's because you know I love to talk wrestling. Yes. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. All right. And today, our subject is going to be on the King of Belts, Reggie Parks. His creation of belts, some belts that were used prior to uh, Reggie, but, uh, you know, he's considered the king of the belts. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, last year, I believe it was. Um, right about this time about this right time, about last, this time year. last year yeah. Uh, yeah but he was kind of the the in my opinion kind of the innovator of of the belts as far as the designing and, and the creativity so what do you what, what's your opinion on that well you you got it exactly right and as we go through our little story this morning i think uh we'll start with reggie and we'll end up with reggie as we close it out you bet. but yeah Reggie Parks, um, for all practical purposes, just about every belt that was made during the latter 60s through the 70s into the 80s, some into the 90s, it probably had Reggie Parks' work on it or his hand in it because he was making them for just all the territories, you know, all the different belts. And I I do want to give credit to, just as a side note, there was another guy that was building or making belts uh, the same time as Reggie was, Nikita Malkovich. Okay. And Nikita Malkovich was a, a Russian wrestler that uh, uh, worked on the East Coast rings most of the time. He wrestled in the AWA as Nikita Kelmakov, uh-huh. the third brother to Ivan and Carol at one point in time. But Nikita got into making belts too. He didn't rival Reggie in the fact that Reggie was really the king. But uh, there will be fans out there will say, well, Nikita certainly deserves mention. And I I wanted to throw that in there, that a lot of the belts Nikita had a hand in making. But Reggie, um, as we'll finish up on our little title belt uh, story today, uh, Reggie was the king. Yeah. So we have some photos George uh, gave to us today uh, that we're going to kind of go through and uh, talk about some legends wearing these belts and what kind of significance that was uh, during that time period. So we'll start off with number one here, the great one, Vern Gagne. Let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Vern Gagne, the belt that he is wearing, there's an interesting history behind that belt. First and foremost, Vern always liked that belt for some reason he thought he looked good in and he liked it It was a very uh plain belt as you can tell it it had a very uh cheaper looking strap on it just a small metal plate in the front with world champion wrestler on it Mm -hmm. but the significance of this belt is that in 1958 when Vern Gagne won the Omaha version of the world title which is a title that came from the uh, controversial 1957 match between Luthez and Edouard Carpentier. Mm -hmm. 
where okay. Carpentier was recognized as NWA champion in some territories for a little short time, although the NWA never officially acknowledged that in their title history. Mm-hmm. And ironically, uh, some promoters did recognize him as NWA champion. But moving forward to 1958 in Omaha, it was Omaha that was one of those cities that had recognized that uh, world title claim by Carpentier. And in 58, Vern won that version from Carpentier. And this was the belt that he used, the one you see, yeah. uh, when he held that title. He was world champion in Omaha. Um, the irony of it is that at the same time, Vern was literally recognized as the United States champion around the country, wherever he wrestled. And there was a different belt that Vern wore as United States champion. But okay. in Omaha, he was AW or not AWA. He was world champion. There was no uh, alliance uh, affiliation with it. Okay. So the irony of it is, is that when the AWA was formed in August of 60, this was the belt that Byrne wore. Okay. And it was the belt that uh, he wore for the first couple of years that he was AWA champion. It's interesting that the, uh, two champions that immediately followed him, Mr. M, Bill Miller, and Gene Kaniski. Neither one of them as AWA champion ever wore this belt to oh. the ring, okay. nor are there any photographs available or out there with wow. them ever having this belt on. But also, this very same belt that you see Vern wearing when the Crusher had his brief run, as AWA champion, mm-hmm. he did wear this belt, and there are pictures out there of Crusher with this belt on. And then when Vern uh, lost it briefly to Fritz von Erich, okay. Fritz wore this belt. And then finally, when Mad Dog Vashon got this belt from Vern, this was the first belt that Mad Dog wore. Oh, and then you see this. Go, You can go really? to that next picture. And then you see this. Mad yep. Dog is wearing what was Vern Gagne's original title belt Okay. before he used to wear the one that we just shared. Yeah. And this belt is known as the Police Gazette belt. And it was actually given, donated to Vern Gagne back in the 50s oh, wow. by the Police Gazette magazine. And as you look at the belt, uh, a color picture would display it better, but it does have some jewels on it. It also has a little spot for the picture of who the champion is. You can see Mad Dog's little face there yeah, at the bottom of the belt. And yeah. uh, this was the belt. And it's interesting because Mad Dog got to wear this belt after he had originally Warren Burns' uh, AWA belt we showed a moment ago. And you, I see you enlarged that. Yeah, I'm just showing the fans oh. out there where the, the picture is. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So Mad Dog got to wear this belt, and then when Vern won this belt back from Vern, that's when we have another story that comes into play regarding the, the title belts. Okay. All right. So oh, uh sorry, went whoop, back. don't go there yet. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I hit the button on accident. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um with with the Mad Dog belt, as we're gonna call this here, but it really was Vern's police gazette belt. Yeah. When uh, Vern won it back 
in uh, it was I interesting that he held the title until 1968. We dropped it for a week or a little over a week, a couple of weeks to Dr. X, Dick Byer. Mm-hmm. And Dick Byer did not wear a belt to the ring for his one or two title defenses that he had. And he was uh, never had this belt on. There are no pictures of him with the AWA uh, title mm-hmm. belt. So Mad Dog held the honor of being the only other wrestler than Vern to wear this Police Gazette belt. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And uh, then what happened was in July of 1975 Vern was champion at the Mm -hmm. time wearing this belt to the ring Mm -hmm. and he was in uh, Davenport Iowa and the belt was put on the timekeeper's table after Vern was introduced as champion in the ring to his challenger that night Uh, there was some nutty fan who ran up to the timekeeper's table right at ringside yeah. And literally grabbed the belt and ran out of the building. True story. <laughs> and it wasn't a publicity stunt. It, it was a real deal where this fan had taken the belt. Now, it made the newspapers that, you know, the fan had taken the belt. Vern was upset because the belt at the time they said, according to Vern, was valued at $10,000. And it did have some jewels on it. And that was the Police Gazette belt. Yeah. Lo and behold, it was just a short time later that the belt was found, damaged and the jewels removed, Mm. damaged and it was in a uh, trash dumpster that they had found the belt. So the crazy fan didn't realize that he had something valuable other than the jewels or a couple of jewels that he wanted to take out of it. Uh, but the belt was no longer uh, in existence at that point. Wow. And then uh, that would take us up to November of 75, just a few months later. Vern came to the ring for his title defense with Nick Bockwinkle in St. Paul. All right. And he, he did not have a belt. And uh, because this was the belt that was destroyed, but yeah. he lost the title to Nick. Right. And Nick was now, this was on November 8th of 75. Yes. Nick, and it was just a few days ago in our history now, it's 47 years ago that that's happened. I can hardly believe that. Seems like only the day before yesterday. <laughs> but uh, but Nick didn't have a title belt as new champion for uh, the first couple months of his title reign. And Vern and the AWA were kind of in a quandary of what to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're probably aware of what happened next. I am, but let's tell the fans. Well, a new belt was created, and Vern didn't use, uh, you'd have thought he would have used Reggie Parks, but he didn't. It ended up that he was able to uh, attain the services of the of a Denver penitentiary and uh they were able to make a belt title belt for him you know the penitentiaries the prisoners are noted for making license plates <laughs> well in this case they were commissioned to make a title belt and i, I think it would be fun to uh for any of the inmates that worked on that belt to to kind of know what their feelings 
good or bad were, if they even knew what they were doing, if they were playing a part in, in wrestling history anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, nonetheless, it was a great belt, great looking belt, and it was presented to Nick. And um, you have a picture there of uh, Nick wearing it. There it is. And that was known as the inmate belt. Yes. Reference to it. Whenever a fan talks about it, they call it the inmate belt. The inmate belt. Obviously because of that penitentiary uh, beginning. Yeah. I want to point out about this belt. If you look at this particular one that Nick is holding, mm -hmm. uh, few fans realize that at the beginning, there were actually two of them. Okay. One of them, the what they called the title belt for uh, normally for pictures, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. had a gold where the black rim is on the belt or the, the black leather that you see. Yep. Um, it was gold on the other belt. And it was a belt that they didn't use in the ring so that basically it wouldn't get banged up and tattered as, you know, the title belts sometimes do when they right. suddenly get used as a foreign object or something, you know. A foreign right. object. Imagine that in wrestling. <laughs> and uh, but this really was the traveling belt. Nick would okay. take this to the title defenses, and uh, this was the belt that he wore, and it was the belt that he had for the five years, almost just short of five years, that he held the the title. Yeah. Uh, for the first time. So, when he lost that belt, he lost it to Vern back in 1980. Mm -hmm. And the belt was then held by Vern for a year, the inmate belt, and worn by Vern. There are pictures out there of Vern wearing it. Right. But it was also the belt that was used uh, or worn by, uh, obviously, Nick and then Ricky Martel and Jumbo Ceruta yep. wore this belt for their uh, title, AWA title reigns. And uh, you know what happened to it next? I do. Let's have the fans hear it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, when Martell lost this belt to a guy named Stan the Lariat Hansen, and there's such a story that goes with this. It's just so intriguing, but it really makes talking about wrestling and obviously this belt fun. Stan held the belt for about a year. Yeah. And it was decided, you know, and there's there's so many different sides to this story that fans can get in and take. But the, the real truth of the matter was, is that Vern had worked out a deal with uh, Shohei Giant Baba in Japan that uh, Stan Hansen, when he would go over to Japan, Baba would be able to use him as AWA champion, have the belt in play. But it really was Vern's title, Vern's belt. Yeah. And what happened with the relationship, Ian, and this is where, you know, I tell fans sometimes they want to blame, uh, they want to blame Stan for where his loyalties were. First, let me say that Stan's loyalties, and it was a good reason, were to Baba in yeah. Japan. The reason they were to him was because Stan was so over in Japan making such good money that that really was Stan's livelihood. He he put Baba first. Yeah. But the problem came in in the AWA was that Vern was getting for that year that uh, Hanson had the title year or so. Uh, 
Burton was getting less and less title defenses out of him and having him gone and unable to sign him for cards. Yeah. So Vern made the decision in a rather abrupt fashion that in a match in Denver in 1986, he called Nick into the, believe it or not, wrestlers used to have secret meetings in the showers, in the <laughs> locker room. They'd call, they'd call a, a meeting in the shower, and the showers weren't on, of course. Yeah. But they'd have a little quick wrestling meeting. Well, Nick had, or Vern had called Nick in and Stan Hansen into the shower in the Denver locker room. And Vern, Nick was already in on this. Yeah. But Vern told Stan, I want you to drop the title tonight to Nick. Well, that's when the fun started. Because... <laughs> Hanson right away said, huh, no way. I'm going over to Japan. I'm already billed over there. They're, they're billing me as the AWA champion. I'm not dropping the title. And Vern basically got into his face and said, well, it's my title, and I want you to drop it. We're done, and you're going to drop it. Well, Stan Hansen, being the lovable character that he is, he said, ah, that's not going to happen, Vern. He grabbed his title belt. And he walked out of the Denver Auditorium. So Stan had Vern's belt and left the arena. There was no match. Vern was put into a, a dilemma yeah. because he now had an auditorium filled with people. Uh, they were expecting to see a title match. He went out, and this is where the controversy begins sometimes with fans. He went out and he said, uh, Stan Hansen, has refused as champion to defend the title to the number one challenger, Nick Bockwinkle. And therefore, in conference with Stanley Blackburn just a few moments ago, I have no alternative but to strip Stan Hansen of the championship title recognition. And the title by default is awarded to Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> a very unpopular decision by the fans. Yeah. Many fans say, and I, I don't doubt that this could have happened, they could have had an elimination match that night in the arena, yeah. maybe pulled Billy Robinson or some other wrestler that was on the card, have them wrestle. It, maybe it would probably have been a second time that night mm -hmm. uh, and said, we're going to make an elimination match and the winner will be the champion. Vern didn't do that. And that's where the problem comes in is that there was no title match. The fans got disappointed and Nick was awarded the title, you know, not having to have won it. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, the controversy with that title belt um, or that title situation remains one of the most intriguing stories in AWA lore. And uh, then we had an interesting situation when Vern tried to get his title belt back from, from Stan. Yes. Let's hear about you that. You want me to continue? Let's, let's do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, well, a couple of phone calls to Stan, a couple of letters to Stan. Vern said, I want my title belt back. And Vern had every right to want it back. It was his. Yeah. That was one thing that every a lot of fans always forget, that whenever a promoter uh, had a championship that they put on a wrestler, you know, that belt... And that recognition was at the promoter or the owner's discretion. You yeah. know, when I'm tired of you as champion, I can tell you to drop it. 
and it's my title belt, you can't go home with it. So Stan ignored all of these uh, phone calls and stuff from Vern. And finally, Vern took the legal action. He sent out a, uh, had a letter sent out from his attorney that uh, the belt had to come back and uh, it wasn't your property, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, Stan Hansen, he returned it. <laughs> However, this is the fun part of it. He didn't return it just, okay, Vern, Sorry it didn't work out between us, you know. I could have put a little note in there and said, you know, sorry it worked out this way between us. Here's your belt. Thank you for letting me have the title for a while. And, we'll, you know, we'll move on. That would have been the business way to do it. Well, Stan Boy didn't do that. He decided in anger to go out, jump in his pickup truck with the title belt conveniently under the wheels of the truck, and he rode over it. And then he put it in a box, sent it back to Vern with, here's your effing belt. Okay? And so yeah. now Vern has this belt, the in-mount belt, which is worthless because it's got two big old truck tires over it. And it's smashed. So once again, he didn't have a title belt. <laughs> and uh, obviously Stan Hansen and he were no longer friends. For yes. real. For real. But uh, that's what happened to uh, the inmate belt. The AWA, uh, again, for a while, it was interesting because Nick did not have a title belt then for title defenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, because he was awarded the title, of course. When he lost the belt to Kurt Hennig, there was another belt that was kind of put together. It ended up being called the Lawler belt because Jerry Lawler was the one that won it. Okay. From. Uh, Kurt Hennig when he had it for a while yeah and uh, that belt you know there's pictures of it out there and there's a little bit more story that goes with the belts but I think what I just covered were the most interesting and kind of covers the AWA title belt belt history interesting ending to it is is that on the AWA side Jerry Lawler ended up keeping the last belt that the AWA had officially Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the controversy over Super Clash 3, yes. when there were wrestlers that said they weren't paid, Lawler was one of them, and he decided to keep the belt. So I think he still has the original belt, although there are there are duplicates out there and stuff. So yeah. that's the story on that. All right. Wow. That was interesting. I I learned a few things, so that's good. As I'm sure the fans did too, the the the, the real deal, because there's a lot of uh, stories out there uh, about what happened with Stan and uh, all that. So it's good to hear the. Well, and, and you know, Brian, um, you know, I always try to, with anything, any discussion I have in life, regardless of what it's about, mm-hmm. I always try to be devil's advocate and play both sides. Yeah, And, you know, there's a case for both that, you know, Stan had his right to not defend or not drop it that night on a moment's notice. Yeah. But I thought, on the other hand, it was Vern's belt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, him and him and Stan had had some discussions before that about, hey, I need you here. I need you there. Well, I can't do it because I'm going to be in Japan or, you know, and it, it was just a bad relationship between them. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame Stan for his loyalties, but I've I always hold this in in strong belief. When he was in the ring working for Vern, 
with Vern's title, he was Vern's employee. Mm -hmm. And when he was in Japan, whether he had Vern's belt with him or not, but he was working and being paid by Baba, he was Baba's employee. So I always put it in that perspective that that's where Stan got messed up. He didn't understand who his bosses were in the particular situations. And he decided to run and take a walk with it. So we beat that horse to death. All right. Uh, I thought maybe we'd look at the NWA thing a little bit before we get into uh, our favorite Reggie Park story. All right. This, this, uh, Brian, if you don't know, and some of the fans, this is the legendary Luthez. Yes. And I I think with Luthez, it could be argued that he was probably one of the all-time greatest wrestlers. He was a shooter. He was a hooker. He he took it seriously. He believed in making wrestling real. And he was the kind of a guy that if you didn't work with him in the ring, he could convince you real fast by handing your arm to you <laughs> after he took it off your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, and, and I say that with, with jest, but it's also the truth. Yeah. Uh, Lou took the business very seriously. Yeah. So this belt you see him wearing, this was, this was not the first NWA title belt, but it was the belt that was being worn uh, from about the latter fifties through this the uh well through the 60s okay. this belt was this was the nwa world heavyweight championship belt now this belt went from uh wrestlers that it's interesting that when dick hutt won this nwa title from uh, luthez for the year a little over a year that dick hutton was champion he never had the title belt yeah Never, never wore it. There are no pictures of him. He never came to the ring as world champion wearing a belt, but mm-hmm. he was the NWA world champion. For some reason, as good friends as he and Lou were, because he was Lou's choice to for Lou to lose the title to Dick mm-hmm. Hunt, uh, when, when Lou wanted to take some time off. And uh, he just never wore the belt for some reason. Oh. So this belt then transitioned. And when, when Dick Hutt lost the NWA title to Pat O'Connor. Yes. And uh, I did I say, there you go. I sent you a picture of, of Pat O'Connor. Uh, Pat O'Connor was wearing this belt that ironically became known as the Pat O'Connor belt. Okay. As Pat held it for his couple years as NWA world champion. And it became known as the O'Connor belt, even though originally uh, it pretty much was owned by Luthez. Yeah. And the story behind this belt is that as the O'Connor belt, it's always fun to look at the champions that then wore this particular belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat O'Connor, of course, lost the NWA title to Buddy Rogers. Yes. And Rogers had a couple year run wearing this belt into the ring as National Wrestling Alliance champion. And then Rogers lost the title back to Luthez in 1963. Mm-hmm. And Lou did that as a favor. They wanted to get the title off of Buddy Rogers because there was issues with the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And at this point being uh, Capital Sports, which later became the WWWF. Mm-hmm. But uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was really controlling the the 
wrestling bookings of Buddy Rogers. And this is a nutshell story, okay? Okay. Uh, controlling the bookings. And the NWA was having problems getting Buddy to come in and defend the title for them. And eventually, uh, Rogers figured that his his allegiance was to the W, well, Capital Sports, what it was called at the time. Yeah. And so they wanted the title off of him, the NWA title. And uh, Sam Wuchnick went to his buddy, Lou Thez, and said, I need a favor. Lou had been kind of semi-retired at that point. Yeah. But he went to him and said, I need a favor. We got to have you come back. We need a credible champion. We need you to take it off of Buddy. Little behind the scenes story there. Uh, Buddy Rogers didn't want to lose the title to Luthez. <laughs> and there was really not the best of blood between Buddy and Lou because Lou didn't respect Buddy Rogers because Rogers was more of a showman than a wrestler. Yeah. And Lou had a problem with that. He liked wrestlers. Yeah. So Buddy was a little flamboyant for his taste, even though Lou would be the first to tell you that if he could make money with him, I'll get in the ring with you. Yeah. But <laughs> Rogers didn't want to drop the title to Lou. Lou, of course, was told, you're going to take the title back tonight. And Lou went into the locker room with Buddy Rogers, and he said, and this has been quoted many times. I'm not going to give the quote exactly, but it is a quote, the way it all comes out. He said to Buddy, we're going to get in the ring tonight, and I'm going to take the title. And he said, the bottom line is this, we can do it the easy way or we can do it the hard way. The easy way, of course, would be for Rogers to cooperate, put on a good match, allow Lou to pin him and walk away the ex-champion. Well, we all know what the hard way would have been. Yeah. Buddy could have resisted, not wanted to do it in the ring, and Buddy would have went home probably the rest of his life in a wheelchair. So, <laughs> Because that's the hard way. Lou was going to take it from him. If I have to break your leg or whatever I have to do, you're going to leave the ring without the belt tonight. Yeah. And that's how that went down. So Lou then held this belt again. Um, it then moved on. Uh, Lou lost it to Gene Kaniski, who held it until 1969. Yeah. Gene wore this belt proudly to the ring, the NWA title belt. And when Gene lost it, he was uh, he was done with his couple-year turn, and he lost it to Dory Funk Jr. Yes. Dory was a great champion that held this belt for the next uh, couple years, from 69 to about, well, 1973. Yeah. And it was Harley Race Harley that Race. was the interim champion, and he, he won the belt from uh, Dory Funk, and then in turn... Only a couple of months later, on July 20th in 1975 in Houston, Texas, the NWA had groomed Jack Briscoe to be their champion. And they really wanted him to face Dory Funk. Yeah. There's all kinds of stories that go why they didn't meet. One of them was Dory didn't want to lose to Funk or yeah. to uh, Briscoe. And... The other story was is that at match time, Dory had injured his shoulder on his ranch in Humberger, Texas, and uh, was unable to defend. So Harley Race beat Dory real quick. Harley was the interim champion with the very thought that in two months he'd give it to Jack. And okay. that's how they did it. Okay. Now, what you're looking at here, this, this was fun. 
Uh, Harley had been champion for a little over two months. Mm-hmm. The AW or the NWA was kind of surprised because Harley had proven to be a really good drawing champion. Uh, he was it was intended all along that he was going to drop it to Jack Briscoe, but uh, for that two months, wherever Harley defended the title, uh, he the, the crowds were good. The fans accepted Harley as a heel champion. But it still went on January, July 20th of 75. He was going to lose it to Jack Briscoe in Houston. Now, what you're looking here is, is a very historic event. This mm-hmm. is a page from a, a great souvenir booklet that was made okay. for this particular match and card. And the whole story behind it was that Race Harley Race was going to receive a brand new belt prior to defending his title to Jack Briscoe on this night. And so what you see at the top picture is Sam Wichnick is telling the fans a little background about the Luthez belt, as we looked at it earlier. Mm-hmm. And then in the second picture, you see what they're calling the historic change or exchange. Uh har- Sam Wuchnick is taking the Luthez belt and handing this brand new belt to Harley that night. And then you see the bottom picture where Harley is posing, not wearing the belt, but holding it with Sam Wuchnick prior to his title defense with Jack Briscoe. And that is the only time at that particular moment in time that Harley would have possession of that belt because on that night, Jack did win it. Yep. Harley left the ring the ex-champion. So <laughs> a lot of fans said, well, Harley never got to actually wear the new title belt. That new title belt then became the uh, the title belt for the NWA. And did I send you a picture of uh, Ric Flair? Yes. Yes. Okay, what well, yeah, Rick Flair was the last champion to actually wear the Jack Briscoe belt, as we'll call it, mm-hmm. because Jack won it. He then lost it to Terry Funk. And then Harley Race came back and again beat Terry Far beat another Funk, Terry, and yeah. wore that Briscoe belt again. He lost Harley then lost it to Rick Flair and Flair wore the belt at the initial uh, part of his reign, but the NWA then created the belt you're looking at there yes. that was commonly known as 10 pounds of gold. Okay. And that was kind of a name that I think it was Gordon Soley that kind of referred to it as that. So this then became the most prominent yeah. uh, NWA belt. When you look at it at the time period, it, it in a many in a kind of way it looks like Vern uh, Gagne's inmate belt, yeah, you know, similar, similar size. Yeah. So we had some some really attractive belts. But Ric Flair held this belt. Um, Dusty Rhodes wore it very briefly when he was champion. Yeah, and uh, this was the belt that was the last NW the official NWA belt that was the NWA at that time. Right. We know the NWA is living on today, but uh, not certainly in the in the way it was back in its heyday when it had the power and everything that it did. Right. 
So that's my story on the, on the AWA and the NWA belts. And uh, then I know you, you have some questions about the uh, tag team belts. And I do. So a guy named Reggie Parks. Yeah. Reggie Parks, you know, he's like I said, the king of belts and we have some pictures here. Uh, Here's race and uh, Larry Henning, Larry Henning. Yeah. With their AWA tag team title belts. The, the... Well, and, let, and let's talk about that a second. Sure. Um, when when Larry and Harley were AWA tag champions, it was interesting because the AWA from its inception in 1960 did not have tag team belts. Okay. The champions that held the tag team title, the wrestlers that held the tag team title, uh, starting with Mills and Kowalski, going on to Haggerty and Montana, and the interim short-time champions that were included in there. Uh, Gilbert and Steinborn, the Nielsen brothers, the Kelmakoff brothers, none of them had tag team belts in the AWA. And truth be told, neither did Larry and Harley. Ah. But you see them in this picture, and this picture is actually taken at the Calhoun Beach Hotel at the WTCN-TV All-Star Wrestling TV studio. And in this particular photo, which was used for this 1967 cover of Wrestling Review, um, they had these tiny little belts on, but this was the only time they wore those belts. They never came to the ring as champions during their three-year reign wearing title belts. I'm not sure why they did this for the photo, but they never did. I did have, uh, and I I have no source of this as fact. I'm going to share just the story. Okay. Uh, If you look at the picture of the way Larry is behind Harley and you do not see Larry's arm behind Harley's back there. Yes. My friend Jim Melby, he told me that when this picture was taken, that Larry was actually holding the belt on Harley because they did not strap in the, they did not connect in the back. Uh, and I'm not sure how Larry's would have been attached because he is, you can see he is wearing one. Yeah. But uh, he, he said that when the picture was taken at the studio, Larry was holding the belt together for Harley. Okay. Well, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, they did not have title belts. Okay. The AWA did not have title belts for tag teams until 1969, and we'll talk about that in a a minute. Yeah. But now there's a famous story, and this is where our buddy Reggie Parks comes into play. All right. Um, Reggie Parks and Doug Gilbert had been a tag team in Vern's AWA territory, in 1966-67, uh, during the Larry Hennig and Harley Race championship reign. And Reggie and, and uh, Doug Gilbert, they went to, they were working in Omaha for Joe Dusick. Mm-hmm. Now, Omaha was always a little bit different in that, uh, and I'll explain those pic- that picture in a yep. minute. I'll just tell uh, those Omaha was always a little bit different in that it used AWA guys from Vern but it also had central states wrestlers because Joe Dusick was working closely with Bob Geigel and 
and Pat O'Connor, who were the behind the scenes promoters in central states. Yeah. So they got a lot of guys in Omaha that we didn't get in the AWA proper and vice versa. We didn't get to see some of those central states guys. But here's the story on these belts that you see here. That is Doug Gilbert and Reggie Parks. Yes. And uh, Joe Dusick recognized a Midwest Tag Team Championship because he wasn't always able to get the AWA champs in his territory. So he created his own Midwest title. And he also had the Tag Team Champions. Well, he put the belt on Reggie and stay on uh, Reggie and uh, Doug Gilbert here. And it was Reggie Parks that went to Joe Dusick and he said, where are, where, where are the title belts? Joe said, I don't have any title belts. Reggie says, well, we're tag team champions. We should have belts. You know, a champion should have a belt. And Dusick told him, he says, well, I don't have any money to make belts. So Reggie Parks, just on his own, he decided he was going to make two belts, one for him, one for Doug Gilbert, while they were Midwest Tag Team Champions. And what you see there is what he put together. Wow. And they were uh, they were the first Midwest Tag Team Champions to wear those title belts. And Reggie had put them together at his cost. And really, when he was done with them, the, the belt stayed with the promotion. And, uh, you know, he sort of did Joe Dusick a favor, I guess, because... Uh, yeah. There they were. But here's here's where the fun starts, because a lot of other promoters saw those belts, and they would, all of a sudden, Reggie's phone is ringing. You know, can you make me a title belt? Can you make me tag team belts? And Reggie, you know, this is one of those things where you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Before you know it, he was making a belt for this promoter, and making a belt for that promoter. Yeah. And it became a very lucrative uh, at the time Reggie was still wrestling full time so it became a very lucrative side business mm-hmm. but uh, to to count the number of title belts that Reggie made for not only the AWA but for other promotions yeah. uh, promotions in Florida uh, in the south you know he, he Reggie just had a good business going yeah yeah definitely uh, Definitely a side business that turned into a full-time business once he started slowing down his uh, his wrestling uh, career. So in 1969, uh, in August, Mad Dog and Butcher Vashon won the AWA World Tag Team Championship from the Crusher and the Bruiser. Now, you remember I told you a moment ago that Vern never had tag team belts for his AWA champions. Yes. Well, when the Vashans were going to win the title beforehand, somehow Vern figured out, hey, I should have title belts for these guys. And so the plan was to put them on the dog and the butcher. He contacted Reggie Parks, Vern did, and uh, really had two belts made. On the belts, it's a little hard to see on this particular picture, but these are the first AWA tag team belts. And it does say uh, American Wrestling Alliance World Tag Team Champions. Okay. So these became 
really the symbol for the AWA tag team champions because, and let me just stop there and say one thing. Fans will say, well, there are pictures of the Crusher and the Bruiser when they were AWA tag team champions they are wearing belts. The belts that uh, Crusher and Bruiser are wearing, if you see those pictures, are the Central States tag team belts. Oh, but they okay. would often be, they would sometimes be used yeah. in AWA programs, etc. And they'd be wearing those belts. Okay. Promoters figured fans would never know the difference that the belts look different, you know. Yeah. So but that's that's where that came from. Okay. So these belts, yes, the dog and the butcher have them for uh their 1969 to 1971 title reign. These belts became very popular because then they went to Red Bastine and Hercules Cortez, who had them for a couple months, only because Cortez was killed in the automobile accident. Yeah. But then they were then put on Bastine and his chosen partner to replace Hercules, and that was the Crusher. So you had the Crusher and Bastine that had wore these belts. They were then passed on to Nick and Ray, Bachwinkle and Stevens. Mm-hmm. who had them for a couple years. Uh, from there, they went to, um, well, they, they lost the title to Crusher and Bruiser, Nick and Ray did, but the Crusher and Bruiser never actually had the title belts at that point. There are, you know, any picture you have of Crusher and Bruiser with these belts then was uh, really from just pictures, okay? Yeah. Okay. But then uh, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel wore these belts. Blackjack Lanza, Bobby Duncan wore these belts. And then they went to Stevens and Patterson in there. They went to Jesse and Adrian. Vern Gagne and Bad Dog Bashan, when they were champions, held them. And they also went to uh, Jerry Blackwell and she, uh, Ken Patera, managed by the Sheik. Sheiks, yes. And then they were worn originally by uh, the Road Warriors at the very beginning of their title reign. But Vern had new belts made for the Road Warriors. There they are, Animal and Hawk. What a rush. What a rush. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Vern was, by the time they got the, the championship tag team belts, you know, you can, by all the names I mentioned that held them and the decade yeah. that they were in the ring and the, the AWA belts were pretty beat up. I mean, literally they were, they weren't looking too good. Yeah. So Vern commissioned, believe it or not, Reggie Parks, <laughs> Reggie, I need a couple belts, tag team belts. No problem, Vern. I'll get them ready for you. We'll make them. And I don't know what they agreed on for price, what they did, whatever, but Reggie did a great job. He did. And he yeah. made these new title belts for Vern. And he sent them out to Vern, and Vern got the belts. And Vern had a way, God bless his soul, Vern had a way to somehow just forget the way history went or sometimes want to blame others for something that he did wrong and didn't want to accept credit for it (laughs) uh, if he'd made the mistake. But he got angry with Reggie Parks because, Reggie, you made the belts wrong. You got... American Wrestling Alliance written on them. And Reggie says, well, that's what they are. They're the American Wrestling Alliance tag team belts. 
Vern says, no, it's the American Wrestling Association. Reggie said, no, it's Alliance. Well, now you might ask, well, who's right? Yeah. Well, technically, they both are. But Reggie is more right than Vern. And here's why. And, okay. and I, I love telling this story with this belt. And I've, I've mentioned in some previous wrestling talks that uh, for some unknown reason, with no explanation to fans, no fanfare about it, all through the 60s, the AWA in programs, magazines, and on All-Star Wrestling was called and referred to as the American Wrestling Alliance. Okay. In any program, any magazine you pick up during the 60s, you're going to see that in there. Well, somewhere, either the very late 60s or the very early 70s, Byrne just started referring to it as the American Wrestling Association. <laughs> Fans really never picked up on it for the most part. And yeah. it was the American Wrestling Association. But there was no official change. So unbeknownst, known or unbeknown, get the word right, Shire, uh, to Reggie Parks when he was commissioned to do these AWA belts. Well, Reggie worked for Vern in the AWA a lot through the 60s and into the 70s as yeah. the American Wrestling Alliance. He just went ahead and made the belts like Vern asked him to do. Yeah. And it says <laughs> Alliance on it. So Vern was upset because it didn't have association but he had never really given Reggie any direction or reason to change that. Yeah. And then they got into a dispute because Vern didn't want to pay Reggie to do new ones on top of this. <laughs> and Reggie made the belts for him and said, well, you know, I'll be happy to replace them, but, uh, you know, I'm going to charge you. And Vern didn't want to do that. <laughs> so for the remainder of the AWA tag team history, yeah. their tag team belts said, American Wrestling Alliance on them. And a lot of fans will pick up on this now in today's modern internet world and they go, yeah. well, it's wrong. They're, they got the wrong word on there. You know, Vern, Vern had the wrong word. Well, Vern did, Reggie didn't, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. The reality is they were still AWA tag team belts. Yeah. They, they, and they're great. They look so good. They look wonderful. Well, they looked great on yeah. uh, the road. They, they, they did. did. Those belts, uh, you know, Reggie has made a lot of belts. Uh, I didn't know him very, I didn't know him. I know you did. You had some interaction with him. What was he like did. as a I person? Did. You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, I didn't know Reggie when he worked in wrestling in the AWA in the 60s. And I had only a chance in the very early 70s to just, in passing, say, hi, Reggie, you know. And he yeah. knew me, you know, hey, young man, or hey, guy, you know, how you doing? That that was it. But I did get to know him in uh, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002. I would see him all during the early part of the 2000s. I would see him at Cauliflower Alley. Okay. And, uh, man, you can't talk about a more approachable guy. And I'd sit down with him, and this was the fun that I had going to Cauliflower Alley in those earlier years when we still had so many of the legends that I grew up with, the stars of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and the 80s, and they were still with us, Brian. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to sit down 
boy, a half a dozen times or more, I'd just sit down with Reggie and talk because I'd share memories about his career. He'd ask me some things, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd tell him some things about his career. He loved that when you'd say, well, you know, when you wrestled out in, in down in Florida, you did this. Or I talked to him about his days as the masked Avenger. Oh. He was a good guy, masked guy. One of the rarities in the business, but he was yeah. the Avenger. <laughs> yeah. I, where there were other Avengers, folks, you know, that's another story for another day. But uh, Reggie was a good guy. but uh, we had some good talks and Reggie was I will honestly say he was as down to earth as you could ever find anybody very low key very low talker and very polite yeah so uh, uh, I got to know him I had a chance to have a picture taken with him with one of his belts that he had made I have a picture with it over my shoulders okay and uh you may have seen it. You, you I think had, I did in, in the in the You room. were privileged. You I were was. privileged to to uh, enter the inter sanctum there. Yeah, I was. But, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, that was a fun picture because having Reggie's history, mm-hmm. and and I'll tell you a special tribute that uh, the Cauliflower Alley did for Reggie Parks. Okay, we know as we've talked, he was known as the belt maker. And he made so many belts. Well, interestingly enough, Reggie, other than those Midwest tag team belts that he made for himself and Doug Gilbert, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, Reggie never got to wear a singles title belt, a singles wrestler's title belt. He was never, and it wasn't that Reggie wasn't, wouldn't have made a great champion. It wasn't that he wouldn't have been a good representative as a champion he was just one of those guys that wasn't in the uh he was always in the he made he had main events a lot of them in his career but he was just not a championship wrestler he would do you know do the job for other guys when he was asked to and he was a great worker and could win the matches when he needed to but he never actually wore a title belt in wrestling if you don't count that midwest tight thank you wow so in the early 2000s, the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club did something really unique. They wanted to honor Reggie Parks, which that's what the, the Cauliflower Alley Club does every year. They honor yeah. wrestlers for their achievements and their accomplishments. Yes. And uh, they wanted to honor Reggie in a special way. So they, the Cauliflower Alley Club, went out and had their own belt made. Wow. A, a title belt and at cauliflower alley club they presented it to reggie parks in honor of all his great championship and they said reggie we wanted you to be able to say you held a belt and he does have this belt wow. the picture that i have with reggie that you may have seen yeah that's the belt Okay. And that's why it was such an honor to have it over my shoulder. I should have sh- I should have sh- shared the picture with you here today, but uh, that's why it was an honor for me when I was talking with Reggie too, yeah. to have that belt because Reggie was speechless when when he was presented the belt at Cauliflower Alley, and uh, you could see that the belt was made by Dave Milliken. Yeah, and Dave Milliken, we all know, is the predecessor to Reggie. He was Reggie's. Yeah belt making partner and uh he has continued on that legacy you know dave makes outstanding belts he does and has again made for 
probably more now than maybe Reggie did because these promotions, mm -hmm. you know, over the end of the eighties and so on, they've had so many championship belts made. Yeah. And sometimes every time a champion wins a belt, they want a new belt for him and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Dave, Dave Milliken made the belt that was presented to Reggie at cauliflower. Wow. He didn't tell Reggie he was doing it. And it, it, I, I remember I was, I was really like, wow, this is a special moment. And yeah. Reggie was, you could see he was very uh, humbled by it. Yeah. So he got to wear a title belt and a wow. thank you for all his hard work. And uh, when he passed away last year, I mean, this wasn't meant to be any type of a, uh, an obituary for him or anything. Right. But, uh, Reggie did pass away. Like we said about a year ago now. Yeah. And uh, sadly he had come down with COVID and uh, he had attended Cauliflower Alley Club at their reunion and he come down with COVID as did some other people at cauliflower that year. Yeah. And Reggie, uh, I'm sure COVID played a part in it, but you know, he passed away and yeah. if he had any other health underlying health conditions, I don't know, but uh, a great wrestler. Yeah, he was uh, great, great AWA worker. He teamed with Vern Gagne, wrestled Vern Gagne, had, outstanding matches with Mad Dog Vashon yeah. when the dog was champion. Uh, Reggie became a great referee in Florida towards mm -hmm. the end of his career. And uh, it was fun that I could have a chance to talk with him. And yeah. uh, he, he was a very good guy, a yeah. credit. And in my, in my estimation, uh, he, was, he was a world champion in professional wrestling. Yeah, he is, uh, you know, a known wrestler, uh, you know, it's called the King of Belts. And uh, it's interesting. I didn't know the story behind how he started that. So I don't know if many fans do either, but they will now. And again, well, I have told that story. I mean, I, I don't think it's a story that's, you know, a secret or anything, because I yeah. have told that story before. Yeah. Uh, and it's... I, it's been mentioned on social media pages and that sort of thing too. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a fun story because you, you got a story about Joe Dusek saying, I don't have money for belts <laughs> and uh, Reggie just kind of taking it upon himself that, you know, Hey, we're tag team champions. The promotion should look professional, you know, let's, and he, he makes these belts. Yeah. And you know, he didn't do it with any, I'm sure there was no uh, forethought in it that, wow, I'm going to make these belts and I'm going to become the greatest belt maker in the world. Right. Uh, his his door, his phone just started ringing yeah. with uh, promoters and fellow wrestlers wanting to have uh, title belts made. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, stuff, that's what life is. It, things yeah. just happen for a reason. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Well, jo George? I want to thank you for coming on today and, and doing this podcast with me on, on the great Reggie Parks, the King of Belts, and, and some stories behind his uh, his legacy. I really appreciate it, sir. I always appreciate it. Again, thank you for reaching out to me. It's always fun. And uh, I love it when you just pick a topic. You you called me and you said you'd like to talk about the Reggie Parks and title belts and yeah. As you know, I only need to be wound up and then I just talk. So <laughs> that's what I there love. You, you can tell the story and it's and it's always wonderful. So ladies and gentlemen, you. you're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Shire. If you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed, yes. 
please do so, and we will talk to you soon.